Well, this morning I do, as we've uh, been doing the Sunday before, and we'll continue to read through parts of the Christmas story in anticipation of Christmas. This morning I want to read to you from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, the familiar story of the shepherds receiving word of Christ's birth and coming to worship him in Bethlehem. Luke writes, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Um, This morning, it's my honor to be able to introduce you to Susan Tolbert. Most of you know Susan well. Uh, It's been an honor to have their family as a part of our church for the past few years. And in addition to serving every month as one of our rotators at the lyrics in the back, Susan is a a teacher here at Grace. She teaches mostly science, uh, mathematics, and the occasional theology class. So she's well prepared, I know. And if you have any uh, science questions, do not come to me. Susan is our resident expert. She can answer them for you. But uh, I know Susan is a, a person of deep faith, somebody I've come to really respect, and uh, I'm really excited for the word she brings today. I know she doesn't do it lightly. So if you would, help me welcome Susan. Thanks, Chase. Um, when Chase asked me to share, um, I've really enjoyed, we've been here one Christmas before this, and I enjoyed the month that uh, they shared, and uh, Dustin, this, this month, and um, when I was thinking about what I would say, my testimony isn't dramatic, so I knew I'd have to go a different direction. And Chase, I was thinking um, we should have this month happen before Pastor Appreciation Month because we would appreciate you a lot more. <laughs> uh, uh, so I don't take it lightly. and uh, It's intimidating uh, to get up in front of a church on Sunday and bring the word. So I pray that God will bless my words, fix anything that I um, say incorrectly, and that he will um, take what I have to offer and plant it deep in our hearts. So um, my life story is a testimony of God's unseen grace, a grace that many of us experience that may go unrecognized and overlooked unless we plumb the depths of what it means for God to be with us. Since my family and I are relatively new, uh, we started last fall, I think, um, here's some backstory. So, uh, I was the child of two uh, faithful Assemblies of God parents. My dad taught at Evangel, uh, from which he retired in 2014 after 51 years. I think he 
he got the 50-year pin, which that was the first one they'd ever given out, I think. Um, my mom worked in the music department, and um, so I grew up running the barracks when I was a kid during the summer. And when child care was scarce, I attended math class with my dad. <laughs> um, mostly I played with Silly Putty, but um, I... I was a typical 80s kid, you know, we would leave the house on our bikes and bike around the neighborhood and um, we'd come in for dark, for dinner, or for uh, Dukes of Hazard. And um, I, I always knew I was loved by my parents and I never really ventured outside the Bible, or the bubble of church and the Bible. I never, I went to public school, so, and I watched 80s movies, so I knew what the things of the world were, but... Um, <laughs> They never really attracted me. So uh, I went to Evangel, and I met Todd at Evangel while we were escaping Evangel at at MSU, taking a chemistry class during the summer. And um, so we met there. We got married. We moved to Colorado. Uh, We had our firstborn, Davis, and um, hurried back home so he could be back with his grandparents. And uh, nothing, like, helps ingrain the idea of family having of having kids. So uh, we came back to Springfield. Um, we had Livy, Olivia like three years later, and then Lily uh, followed seven years later. So Davis is married to Hope, and they live in Marshfield, and Olivia is a junior at Evangel, and Lily is an eighth grader here at, at Grace. Um, we've been blessed with steady employment and good health and just generally a steady life situation. Um, for the most part, steady, extended family. Um, there's some exceptions, but don't we all have those? <laughs> um, Todd works in the utility industry. Uh, he, he works with deals with people who generate alternative forms of electricity who want to connect to the grid. And that is my, like, third grade version. I don't understand what he does. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I think he does. And we're just, we'll just leave it at that. Um, so I teach. I kind of fell into it. It wasn't my life goal or anything, but um, I, I do, and I see how God has orchestrated my steps to uh, become a teacher. So um, that's what I do every day. And um, so my, my testimony isn't anything that will give me street cred with people from down and out circumstances. But let me just say that even though it doesn't appear that I have been saved from much in this life, I am fully confident that once our life here on fallen earth um, is transformed into glorified life, we'll be amazed to see all that God has done in my life. And same for you. Once we get our heaven eyes, we'll be amazed to see the sustaining work of God in our lives, um, things that we've been blissfully ignorant of. Um, However, one thing many of us struggle with, I think, especially those with testimonies similar to mine, is just the feeling of the weight of the depths from which we've been saved. We may not appreciate the true magnitude of the gift, and it can lead to feelings of distance from God, um, of wondering if God is really there. And to prepare for those times, uh, we must arm ourselves ahead of time. Paul tells uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.7, he says, Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 13 and 14, says, Prepare your minds for action. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. 
These verses encourage us to actively and encourage they actively engage our minds as opposed to relying on feelings to gauge our closeness to God. Feelings are fickle and they lead us to and fro. In fact, my Jeremiah coffee cup verse is not the Jeremiah 29 one where it says, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper, etc. Um, mine is Jeremiah 17 where it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. <laughs> Who can understand it? Um, so like my girls have recently been in the American girl phase. Um, they're out of it, but um, for a while it seemed like the, the phrase was follow your heart, you know, and I'm like, don't follow your heart. <laughs> it leads you where you don't want to go. So um, we must anchor ourselves to something steadier than our heart. And that's mainly what I want to talk about today, which is understanding Emmanuel when we don't really feel it. So the idea of God with us is not so much a feeling, but an assurance that is repeated throughout Scripture um, from Genesis to Revelation. In the Old Testament, we see that um, God was with even Adam and Eve, literally. He was with them in the Garden of Eden. Um, We see that he brought Noah through the flood. He was with the patriarchs in the Old Testament, making a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, saying that he would make them into them into a great, great nation and bless them. And then in Exodus 29:45, God carries forward, this pro, carries forward this promise to the progeny of Abraham, saying that he would dwell among the Israelites and be their God. God reiterates the promise in Leviticus 26, 11 and 12, and he says, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. And to demonstrate how he's done this so far, he goes further in verse 13, saying, I am the Lord your God, who have brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves, and I've broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. So he'd been with them through some very difficult circumstances. It might not have seemed like he was, but he was with them. We see the physical demonstration of God's presence with his people when Moses is able to be near God as God's glory passes by. Even though he's huddled behind a rock, the glory of God's countenance lights him up so much that when he goes back to his fellow Israelites, they can't bear to see him. He must wear a veil. And I mention this because there's a neat verse in the New Testament that refers back to this veil in 2 Corinthians 3.4, which says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." The Old Testament picture of God's glory physically uh, reflecting on Moses' face is translated to the picture of Christ imaged in us. So where in the Old Testament God was with the people, in the New Testament we can see that Christ is in us. So what Paul is saying here is that the Israelites had a physical barrier from the glory of God. They couldn't physically tolerate it. It was too much. But with the coming of Christ, we don't have that physical barrier anymore. In fact, Christ is in us. He works in us to transform us from one degree of glory to another. God says this is happening, so it must be true. We don't have to wait until we feel like it. We can stand on the promise of God. Sometimes it feels like our growth is non-existent because it's so slow. But if if we remember this promise, we can remember that we are being transformed, maybe ever so slowly, from one degree of glory to another. So Christ is in us, or us in him. Together, we could say union with Christ. It's a huge concept, and um, when I started writing this or thinking about it, I'm like, mm, 
<laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> it's too big to, to deal with, and I have no idea, and I'm not a scholar, but um, we're going to go with it. So um, I'm doing my best, but uh, there's, you know, people write whole books that study their lives on this, and so um, I'm, you know, I'm just dipping my toes in the water. So, um, so let me just read um, Ephesians 1. Um, Paul, this is an interesting passage. I had my theology students, we like take a section, it's doctrine. So we take a little bit of doctrine and um, learn about that aspect. And there's like a hallmark verse that they have, I make them memorize. And so I'm I'm like, well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So I decided I was going to memorize it this one time. And I told them if I didn't get it right, they didn't have to say it. So there's a lot of incentive. And so nothing like memorizing um, scripture that makes you really like pay attention to the wording. And I never really paid attention until I memorized it, which I don't remember anymore. I need to go back over that. But um, So there's a repeated in Christ, in him, in this section. So let me just read this uh, section from Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3, uh, going through verse 14. And just listen for in Christ or some reference to being in, in Christ in some way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ may be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So that's, there's, there's a lot there. Um, when, you, when you read the New Testament, looking for these phrases, it's amazing how integral they are to the message of the gospel. So I'm gonna, I'll read a little list of these things. Um, believers are created in Christ, were crucified with him, we're buried with him, baptized into Christ in his death, we're united with him in his resurrection, we're seated with him in the heavenly places, Christ is formed in believers and dwells in our hearts, the church is the body of Christ, Christ is in us, and we are in him. The church is one flesh with Christ, and believers gain Christ and are found in him. Furthermore, in Christ, we are justified, glorified, sanctified, called, made alive, created anew, adopted, and elected. So union with Christ, the words used to describe Emmanuel in the New Testament, is the realization of the Old Testament covenantal bond between God and the Israelites, described as Emmanuel. No longer confined to the shadows of the Old Testament, Emmanuel is fulfilled in Christ. Not just the fact that he physically came down in the form of a human baby to be God with us, 
but that with his redemptive work, when we put our trust in him, he is Christ in us. I can't tell you the assurance that it gives me to know that it is Christ in me (laughs) that is doing all this work and that I am not ultimately the one responsible for making this happen. Plus, it's Christ in me that's continuing to do the good hard work of sanctification, making me alive, creating me anew, who will glorify me and seat me in the heavenly places. God doesn't promise that we'll feel close to him, but he does promise that he is with us. So in math, there are several kinds of infinity. Um, there's the infinity at, oops, at either end of the number line. Um, and you might have played this game as a kid or with your kids where you say, I, can, I bet I can name a higher number than you. And so your kid's like, well, 10. You say 11. You say 100. You say 101. They say a million, a million one. <laughs> and so you're going to win. I mean, you know, you know math. Um, <laughs> so... We can analogize this to um, this kind of infinity to our uh, our eternal life, uh, where despite the expiration on our physical body at this present age, um, there's no ending point in our life once our physical life here on Earth is over. But there's also infinities within, like for example, between the numbers zero and one. Um, how many numbers are there? Well, let's start by cutting um, that segment in half. You get half, so 0.5. You cut 0.5 in half, you get 0.25. You cut 0.25 in half, you get 0.125, then 0.0625, etc., etc. So there's no smallest increment that you can cut 0 and 1 um, into. Um, we can continue inward, inward until infinity. I, think, I kind of think of this as um, like Christ in us. Uh, We can do a little work to find Christ in us or ourselves in Christ. And this reveals to us a deeper and richer idea of who Christ is and who he is in us. This causes us to think, to search scripture, to dwell, to grow. Then to think again, search scripture again, to dwell, to grow again. Gaining a bigger picture with each iteration. It's like the inside is much bigger than the outside. Basil the Great, which I scavenged this off of Twitter, so I, you know, I'm not a Basil the Great reader, but he's pretty great. Um, he says, to worship in the spirit implies that our intelligence has been enlightened. When we see Christ, the brightness of God's glory, it is always through the illumination of the spirit. So Basil may have had this passage from Ephesians in mind, uh, where Paul asked for strength to comprehend the love of God. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's Ephesians three fourteen through 19. So in this prayer, Paul is asking for strength for the Ephesians to be able to comprehend Christ's love. I mean, imagine that, a kind of love that you must be strengthened to be able to comprehend. Um, it kind of surpasses knowledge, doesn't it? And for what purpose? It's to be filled with the fullness of God. In other words, to strengthen us so that we can know the love of God and be more in union with him. And we're not alone, we're not on our own in this. We have a partner in the sanctification process who dwells in our heart through faith. And how do we get this faith? God even supplies the faith that we need. 
Uh, Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And then in Romans 12, Paul talks about thinking in accordance with the measure of faith that God has granted us. As Americans, it's tempting to think of the Christian life as a typical American life, just missing a few objectionable pieces that Christians wouldn't engage in. We think that the major work of salvation is done once we sign on the dotted line and don't do anything to disqualify from it. But what if we think of the Christian life not as a life of subtraction, but as one which um, adds such wondrous things that we don't have any room for the things that would draw us further from Christ? Our eyes aren't focused on the sin that nips at our heels at the temptation that that, um, we're trying to flee. We don't worry about the slight over the incident at work. Instead, our eyes are focused on the unimaginably beautiful Savior who draws us near, who gives us new eyes and new sensibilities. The things of the world seem like shadows compared to the rich world that Christ draws us to. Life in Christ not only describes what we've been saved from, but what what we've been saved to. As we shift our focus from the saved from category to the saved to category, God becomes that much larger to us. Uh, Our view is turned inside out, and the view available to us expands exponentially. Just as there is an infinite quantity of numbers between zero and one, life inside Christ grows bigger and bigger the more we explore. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, Christ in us. So this I know, Christ is in me. The shadow presented in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ. As I am being transformed from one degree of glory to another, I gain increase in my ability to perceive Christ in me. I don't need to, and I shouldn't, rely on my feelings to know that this is true. Um, God is steady. I'm not. This Advent season, as we anticipate the physical incarnation of Christ 2,000 years ago, let us give thanks for the amazing and undeserved gift of the spiritual manifestation of Christ in our hearts today. Let us not wait for feelings to verify the truth of the Bible, but let us hold fast to what God has told us in his word, both in the written word and the incarnate word in the person of Jesus. Thank you, Susan. I was um, thinking as you were speaking about those words that we were reading from Luke. Um, yeah, there's the famous Christmas song. So many know, Mary, did you know? Are you familiar with the song? Uh, good song, but I always want to say, well, sort of she knew. I mean, there were angels telling her stuff along the way. Uh, Luke opens, you'll remember, by Mary hearing from the angel. And it actually begins similar to that passage we read from the shepherds. Mary was likewise afraid. And the angel said, Mary, fear not. And then he went on to explain who this son would be for her. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We read today that those shepherds showed up to Mary and passed on the message they had received. This was to be a savior in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord, And he will deliver and be for those people a great joy of good news. Um, What's so interesting is the response as these shepherds go about Bethlehem explaining what they've heard. Luke tells us that many who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But then Luke tells us, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Um, 
It's interesting to me that what Mary received was not just a statement of fact. Oh, yeah, 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 I already heard that. The angel told me. That as she continues to hear and catch pieces of who this son would be, she treasures those things and ponders those things. Um, Susan, I think you said it so well that we have this tendency that if something doesn't become immediately obvious and applicable to us, we think it's useless, maybe not helpful. We move on to things that are immediate and now. Or we run the risk of having something been meaningful before, we draw a final conclusion about it and think we have that thing all figured out and we're ready for something else. But here's this image of Mary at Christmas treasuring and pondering and collecting and keeping and wondering. Um, I couldn't help but think of this image of the fraction, (laughs) another fraction, another fraction, more to be pulled out. What does this mean to be in Christ, for Christ to be in me? There are things Christ gives us, identities, possessions, gifts that we never exhaust, that we never draw final conclusions from, that we don't just use and apply to get something we want, but like Mary, gifts he gives us that we treasure, that we ponder, that we wonder and pray and think. As Paul said, Susan brought out so wisely, give me the strength find more in this, to experience more of this. And what a great event Christmas itself to be like that, in which this so familiar story that year after year we come back to, that this year we might say, Lord, do something new in my heart. Help me see and taste something deeper in this story that I've spent so many years wondering about before. Let me treasure it and find in it something deeper. Christ with us, Emmanuel. We're going to close in prayer, and then we have uh, uh, the joy of the kids coming to give us a little bit of their Christmas program that they've been working on over the last few weeks. Um, But let's go to the Lord in that prayer, that he would give us something in this familiar story this season to keep drawing us deeper and deeper into him. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this book of stories, these past events, the way you've shown yourself faithful before. As Hebrews says, that we are the inheritors of this great cloud of witnesses to your faithfulness. We're thankful that Susan reminds us that we have something so much greater, so much bigger, more infinite, your goodness and grace and mercy than so many of us have ever realized before. That we don't outgrow this story, this news of your goodness, that we don't move on to something better. But you in us and with us is the heart of who you are and who we are for all of eternity to explore. I pray, God, for some who this Christian faith may have become stale or stagnant or seem like the same old thing, that this holiday season, by your spirit, you would spark something new and alive in the midst of that faith again. That, God, where some have drawn weary or tired, that you would give us the strength to see and find more, that you would pique our curiosity and move our hearts, softening that hardness, that we might be moved again by what you've done for us. Lord, as we hear from our kids today, many of them learning these stories for the first time and for us hundredths of time, that for all of us in this room, we would treasure these things ponder these things and in them find greater and greater riches of who you are and what you've done for us. It's in your name we pray.